All right, we we were on your list for a while. You finally got you through. You two have been on my list for a long while, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> finally got through. We were behind uh, Big Cat and PFT. We finally made it and got you on. Um, and we're in our new studio, which is a lot of fun. This place cool. looks pretty cool. It's definitely cool. It's a lot different than my couch in uh, Washington, D.C. in a studio. What about the curtains that I had in the back? <laughs> you, you guys were classic. <laughs> I'm telling you. So that's the reason I, I did wear shorts down here. I was like, it, I don't care about those guys. I've seen their house. I've seen their curtains. I've seen them hanging yep. out, doing nothing. Now I need we you both wore collared shirts for, for once. And, oh, you guys, you're doing that just because I'm here, I know. <laughs> but we, our new project is to figure out what we're putting behind Eric over here. We should I, have, we should have a, um, like a competition. You yeah, know, some viewers. That'd be good. Could put some suggestions good. in there. I, I would like to have a bar. I, I think I think a bar it kind of fits our guys who are all. I don't know, but slightly I, Steven, Steven Sam at I, all times. Maybe not Steven Sam. Yeah, but Steven but Sam, but sure, Mike not. and Mike and Austin could do their pod like concurring, right? Like right there. Those two would be lying on yeah. the bar. Yes, they would be. Would we need to find a bartender? That's a good idea. That could be a new position. It could be like it could be like uh, Mike Shanahan one day. Yes. Could be you know <laughs> that's, who's that's, the celebrity bartender? The celebrity bartender right? serving up pre-snap motion. The drink. Yeah, yeah. I like that. I like that. <laughs> That'd, That'd be, be pretty good. cool. Um, so, what have you been up to? Tell us about your off season so oh, far. Oh man, this has been. I went to uh, uh, Australia, New Zealand, right when the season was over, and we were over there, and the pandemic, of course, started attacking the world and but it over there it was never bad mm-hmm. and so it wasn't huge news but you know you knew from reading online what was going on other places um and but we got out of there we were there for a month hmm. and we got out of there like just in time i mean just as people were starting to put travel restrictions and which country you could come from and go to and yeah all the different things. So it was, it was wild, but, um, I, I love Australia. I'd been there a few before. times before, but New Zealand's off the charts. I, I'm just telling you, it, 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 if you, you gotta go. Drew, uh, Esikoff is the one that always, our director really? for Sunday night football is always the one who told me, he goes, I, I can live there. I mean, my plan is I'm going to retire in New Zealand. I was like, get that. What are you talking <laughs> about? You're not going to move to New Zealand. And I went over there, and you did, I just loved it. Some of the most beautiful golf courses I'd ever seen. Um, I always say this backwards: Queenstown, Queensland, whatever Queensland, it is. Yeah. Queenstown, I think, down in on one end of it uh, of the country is like the youngest, hippest. Uh, there's people my age there for sure, but everything is jumping off this cliff and going on this speed thing that goes around in the circles and instead of having like little boats that putter around in the thing they're submarines so you get them and you jump <laughs> and you go underwater for 15 seconds and you go george <laughs> is hang gliding yeah and everything is an adventure sport in new zealand i mean it was, and it was just so much fun we did the whole thing i jumped off a building like a really 50 do you have, story do you have video building. evidence of this Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, we got to we got to show that. When you became a, a grandfather as well again? Yeah, number yeah. two. That's yeah. what I was doing all morning this morning, and there's there's real value in that grandparenting thing. I love it. I'm pretty good at it too. I actually have a picture. I should hold on. 
I, I get it. <laughs> I real, got spit up on my pants. I got proof. Have you been Have you been indoctrinating uh, the grandchildren into the the preparation for Sunday night football process? Now that you're at home, yeah, you've I kick got their them blue butts you. out of my office. That's what I do. <laughs> Otherwise, I got no chance. I mean, I, I, I that's what I'd rather do, right? I just I'm just having a blast. Yeah. I, I'm I'm having so there, much. There's fun. something. There's something deeply fun about having all the fun and none of the none of the real right. responsibility this is what being a grandparent is so you get them and you just utterly destroy wow. everything inside yeah. you pull out every toy you bring it out there every <laughs> doll that any of my daughters have ever owned and we're down in the basement and they're everywhere so that's what i do now that's that's the thing that i remember <laughs> from i obviously have no children but when i was a kid my sisters would literally get every toy out. It was like a daily ritual. Yeah. There was no like, oh, we'll keep this section away for today. No, it was every day we're going to bring every single thing out, and then we have to clean every single thing up. And now as an adult, if I get one thing out and I leave it out, I feel like a kind of a scam. So how times have changed. You'll get over it. Yeah, eventually. you start having kids. <laughs> eventually. Um, I want to talk about the college football stuff because it just broke, mm-hmm. and everyone's trying to untangle it. Um, and what are your takeaways? What are your thoughts? What do you think happens? Um, you know, I, I love college football. So I, I think we're all a little saddened by it. So much of our company is built around, you know, when I first came into the company and, and bought the company, it was NFL football. And so I asked Neil Hornsby, I said, you know, could we do college football? And he goes, oh, you know, knew, yeah, sure, no, no worries. And I said, well, how many more people would I have to hire to do that? He goes, ah, we got it covered. I think we had sixty people working. <laughs> now we got five hundred, right? So give you some idea what it took to to do college football. But for me personally, I don't get to watch that much college football during the season because we're busy, yeah, right? Yeah. You've been there on the weekend, and you know what it's like. Um, and so I, I. Would it be okay with me if they moved to the spring? It'd be really okay with me. Now you'd lose some of the top players because they'd move on to the draft and Mm -hmm. there are issues out of it. So I really feel for the student athletes because this window of opportunity where they get to play for the University of Florida or Notre Dame or whatever is so small and it's so fantastic. And it's probably some of my best football memories of my life is taking the field for your university and and to have that stolen away i really feel uh badly for them but um you know we all get it nobody knows nobody knows what's going on right now nobody knows what the danger is and pro athletes you go okay you can sign off on that and do it if you want but college athletes high school athletes peewee athletes you know where do you that's that's the thing i mean we're going to be as a data company i mean we're going to be studying the effects of this season forever I mean, it seems like this is going to be the one sort of outlier where we wonder, okay, 2020 draft, there was almost there were no pro days. What does that mean? 2021, you know, maybe half the teams play in the fall, half the teams play in the spring, but we're not like, what's the difference between a fall player and a spring player when it comes to playing in the NFL? Like, all these things are like nothing, and and even the 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 kids that get to play in the spring, it's just not going to be the same. You know, it's not going to. You know, a lot of these guys grew up dreaming about. You know, uh, Michigan, Michigan versus Ohio State in November. Well, that might just be Michigan, Ohio State in March now, but it's going to be weird and different. Um, you know, but there, there's going to be a lot to learn, I think, from this as far as the data and like 
everything's just different, you know, and we, and we, we've had college football for, you know, a hundred years and we, this is going to be like a singular event. But in some ways it's different though, because think about college basketball, how many college basketball players could you name right now off the top of your head? Man, this is, I'm not I sure feel I can name seen one, right now. Zero. Right. It's like, yeah. I kind of couldn't even name one, but it's the universities and it's to some extent, the head coaches that you recognize. Yep. So while there may be a little drop in the top end quality of play, if the Trevor Lawrences don't play in in the spring, which you know certainly I would understand that, uh, but it's still those universities, those coaches playing against each other, and the fans that go to college football games, it's a ritual, it's a rite, or at least for me it was. It was I was watching my son Austin at Notre Dame or going to SEC games. I mean, people, their whole weekend, their whole lives are kind of built around those college football games. Um, and so is it, so, if it's in the spring, I still think it'll be exciting. Well, yeah. plus you have – see, here's the thing. The, the good teams just reload. So yeah, the yeah, drop-off isn't that big. You know, I, so if Justin Fields isn't playing for Ohio State, okay, that sucks because Justin Fields is awesome. But the guy they bring in is a five-star. You know, he's the number two guy. You know, or number one. No guy one didn't in their watch class. Alabama because Tua was hurt. Like we all exactly. watched Alabama in all their games. Any there was a but, small drop-off, but it's it's still Alabama. You know? Right. But I think I think the big reason, one of the big reasons that they're maybe not going to get it together for the fall is how important having fans in the stands is. Whereas the NFL is going to you know, make do if they have to. And it's an interesting difference between you know, why can't college figure that out? Why can the NFL figure that out? Does it really just come down to money? Because obviously I think there's, there's a lot of proof that you can keep the players pretty safe, you know, but the fans won't be. And so if I can't have fans, I can't have games. Well, there's also the other – there's also the students on campus that, you know, that there, there's, there's uncontrollable factors with college that simply aren't right. in the NFL. And the, but but most, most campuses are going to have kids on there. Right. What I'm saying, yeah. I mean, like, it, it's, it's a lot easier to say, hey, look, you're making – even if you're, a, like, a minimum player, you're making $500,000 a year. That's upper 1%. We can ask you to do these number of things and, and – Sure. Give you fines if you don't do it. Like that seems to me fair. College football, it's like, well, what really? What do you really have other than for one percent of you guys, you're going to lose a chance at playing in the NFL if we, you know, if, if none of this works out. That's and so I, you know, I think I think the NFL is far better contained and and probably will get you know do do a good job and get through this. College football, I think the broader like pandemic just needs to be more solved before. It's simpler, right? I don't know. But I, I, when I watch the baseball happen, right, and the Marlins. Or not happen. Yeah, or not happen, <laughs> right? But so they ended up with 15 people with COVID mm-hmm. on it. To me, the keeping yourself isolated should be part of the sport mm-hmm. if you're yeah. going to play. If you're a professional. If you're a professional and you're playing baseball or in the National Football League now, and you don't have the common sense to isolate yourself and protect yourself and protect your teammates, then that should be a loss. Mm -hmm. That series that they had to forfeit, in my opinion, should be a loss from the standpoint that now you incentivize those teammates to go, listen, asshole, you got to quit going to the bar. You just cost us a weekend series, you know, against the Dodgers over here. So at least you would add motivation 
to the idea of, as a team, we're going to have to sacrifice here, and we're going to have to give up our right to go party after the games. Well, it's the same thing with every business. I mean, for all the important, like, like – you know, for you and your George, it's like, you know, if, if you guys were to go, you know, get COVID, our business would be negatively impacted immensely, right? So you guys do the right thing and, you know, and, and take care of yourselves. And I think that's the same. And I, and I think that's where the disconnect is and where I can see the point where, where folks are saying, you know, like, hey, why, I have to do this in my regular life. Why can't you do this as a professional? I see it, right? Because everybody, everybody else's business would, would tank if the most important people got sick and, and it was not necessarily out of an accident but because of carelessness. And I think now what the NFL has done, which is good and, and which I think gives them a very good chance not only to have a season but to finish the season, is that they've taken it so that any and all COVID-19 transmissions would be out of carelessness and not out of, not out of uh, a failure to plan. You know what I'm saying? Which I think is a good thing. I, I also would throw in there, how many games does the NFL really have to play? So the only thing that matters, I think, this season, because there are no ticket sales right. to speak of, are, is the television money, right? So if the television money is all that matters. So I'm going to take it from a selfish standpoint. We need 17 Sunday night football games. Yes, we do. So let's say that in order to get – For the NFL to get fully paid from Sunday night football, and I'm not making a statement about NBC because they may argue this point, so this is just my own thought. But for them to play 17 games, what if the league were divided back to AFC and NFC? The AFC plays week one. The NFC plays week two. AFC plays week three. So that you've got a two-week quarantine guaranteed built in between games, right? So now there would be three primetime games and five games split between Fox and Mm -hmm. CBS. Fox and CBS get the short end of the stick, but it's my scenario, so I get to do whatever I want to do. But because of the fact, even if somebody had coronavirus getting back on the airplane and you had to quarantine for two weeks, you may not get 14 days, you get 13 days out of it or whatever, but you could keep safe and you would have a nine-game season, ten-game season, whatever you wanted it to be. Maybe everybody plays opening weekend or whatever. But you would at least have enough to collect all of your television money Mm -hmm. by playing only nine or ten games each. And the players, I would think, would go, hey, that sounds right to me. I don't know. As one of eight wide receivers that it made a Pro Bowl in a nine-game season, I feel like that you're you're a little biased. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really good in those nine games. You should see me as a broadcaster. You had – yeah, you had you had a Pro Bowl. Your your second year was a, the strike shortened year, and you guys only played nine games, and it was one of your three. Pro you know, what was the worst part about that though, is that we ended up playing the Jets in the playoffs. So we went to the Super Bowl the year before. We were seven and two, which was I want to say second best record in the league. Well, they went round robin that year instead of so, had a seeding and stuff. So basically, yeah. the team that beat us in the playoffs under a six team playoff system would have never made the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. So we got beat by the Jets, who had the friggin' Freeman McNeil rush for 250-something yards, and I had a 80-yard touchdown call back. I'll never forget that game. But, you know, from the standpoint that, that, you know, it was just a weird year. But it didn't take away 
from the championship. I mean, mm-hmm. the Redskins were the champions. If anything, they had a tougher road to yeah. go through that playoff system, you know, because so many teams were on it. Yeah, because there were there were more games because there were they they allowed what was it like ten or eleven teams in the playoffs each of it. Yeah, that was that was an interesting. I think time. it was eight each. I think there were yeah. eight each. Yeah. The, yeah, and then the, in '87, the Washington also won the Super Bowl in a season that was shortened by a strike as well. So they've had kind of a they've lucked in there. The the interesting thing about what you're saying here is I think what people are undervaluing when it comes to the NFL in that travel is so much different than in for baseball, right? Because you guys, at most, the regular season, it's eight trips. Right. And, it's, and it's less than 24 hours a trip. So, like, the risk associated with being in a different town and all that kind of stuff are, are really low, actually, relative to baseball when it looks like, you know, you just have, you know, 25 players who are all bored for three straight days, you know, like... And, and in your scenario, it just reduces it by a factor of a half, which is big. You know? yeah. Well, if you could bubble up the divisions. I'm, I like this idea, too. I think I, this is a good idea, too. I'm not worried about – you mentioned the travel thing. Okay, I get it. We've all traveled. When you travel, it's like when you're in an airport and you're like, yeah, actually, my diet doesn't matter now. Like, no matter what I eat in the airport, it doesn't matter. Or you're staying at a hotel and you look at the snack bar and you go, I normally don't eat M&Ms, but today I'm going to have an entire box. That mentality, I get it, and it hurts, certainly. But I'm just as worried about players at home on an off day when they are technically have free reign to do what they want to do. I mean, a lot of these guys are 20, 25. Like, I was 20, 25. I remember what that's like. So that worries me just as much. But if you could bubble the divisions and then you maybe do something where, you know, at, you know eight weeks in you swap and you have this – you know, these two teams go to this bubble and these two teams go to that bubble. To me, that is how you could really guarantee. But what if you played? Think about when, when I first came to Cincinnati, baseball was played where the Reds and the Dodgers had 24 games. Think about that. Think about all the brushback pitches that happened yeah, in 24 yeah. <laughs> games. So by the end of the year, those two teams wanted to kill each other. Right. What if you play – make up, it doesn't matter. If you had a 12-game season with your bubble idea and everybody played everybody four times. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I mean, it would be like the most interesting yeah. stuff in the world. And then you would have no idea. Like when we got to the playoffs, you wouldn't have any idea if the north or the south right. or the east better. or the west – was better. It would be kind of like college football, right? Where we don't know. like opening day on college yeah. football. It'd like I'm really kind of looking forward to if we can get there on our opening Thursday night broadcast. I've never done a broadcast like that. Yeah. I've never gone in not having seen the team as it exists mm-hmm. before we got there. At least you get some preseason, you get right. something. So it's going to be like the opening of college football. We were football. talking about the, the total for that game. It's like 56 and a half, 54 and a half. Like, I can see a universe where no one can cover anybody. Like, the, the defensive back for Houston sees Tyreek Hill run for the first time, and it's like he's never seen a player run before. And the game. But, but pause gets, real quick. That's just how it always is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When but Houston's even more than trying normal, to cover right? someone. Like, <laughs> and Houston's defense stinks. But, like, you know, you, you get the throw over, like, you get the, the game is 70. Like, it's the 70, it blows over the total. But I can also see it being, like, kind of sloppy play right away. Like, we have no clue. Like, we, we have no imp- Be- before, precedent for this. Before we get into week one, I have one more pitch on the schedules. So, college football, rest in peace for the fall. Okay. We're all starved for some good football. You know what they have in the NFL? They have really good games that sometimes don't make it to Sunday night. Right? We're always sitting there. 
you know, waiting for Sunday night, and there's this yeah. great game on the middle of the day. And we're like, man, I wish I could really sit down and watch this game. For example, week one, Tampa Bay, New Orleans. Saturday night. Now, if there's no college football, I'll just remind, I think you know this, that Notre Dame, usually covered by NBC, oh, look, there's an NBC crew that, that is free that could potentially have a Saturday night football game. So you could spread things out a little bit more, right? You'd have a game on primetime. You could even do it, you could do three games in primetime on Saturday. You'd have way more, you could make more money than normal. Well, assuming that, I mean, the, the only reason the NFL doesn't play Thursday, Friday, and Saturday is because of college. Is, and high school. Yeah. yeah. Don't forget how important high school football is. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's just the tradition. And the NFL, that's the reason they play Thursday night. And not Friday night, right. or they, they play Saturdays in the in December after college football is over because of the. It's, it's actually like a, a law, right? It's like you'd have, to get this yeah. change, you'd have to go to. But think about how Congress much fun, th- how much fun the data is going to be for this stuff because all these things are inter- interconnected, right? You have what happens when you have one less day of rest? Well, it depends upon if you're a home team or a away team. What if there's no fans? Well, now how big is home field? Like all these like cool like data permutation questions are like. There, there's, there's going to be opportunity in this. I, you know, I, I, I think it'd be a lot of fun and from a DFS perspective. Like, how, how much variance is there in a Sunday DFS slate when there are three less games? You know, consistently, like, it's just going to be a really like if that's going to the outcome. And it does sound like from reports, if if college football doesn't go ahead and the SEC, ACC, Big Twelve, Pac twelve are also up in the air, but. If well, that, by the time people are listening to this, there'll be seven yeah, new things. Yeah, 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 yeah. Matter. yeah, yeah. We, don't, we don't. But know. but like the the uncertainty, I feel like is a fun is a fun ex, uh, you know data exercise for us to really understand the game because like I'm I'm looking forward to seeing like what is what is the value of fans like do how much home field advantage do they give and is it homogeneous across the league? Yeah. Well, what and do you now, think? And what now you we think, have rest. Chris? So what do you think? So all of these unknowns. There's no fans. Um, what? what how do you going into a game, knowing you know? Okay, you have the Chiefs and the Texans, for example. Yeah. How do those things play uh, with respect to those two teams? Uh, well, it's interesting that those two teams are pretty much come back intact to some extent. You know, obviously, no DeAndre Hopkins. But yeah. missing DeAndre Hopkins, <laughs> but um, you know, but I think that they're going to be okay. To me, the ones that are really interesting is going to be like change of coach, change of quarterback, you know, how long does it take even a Tom Brady Mm -hmm. to get that going without practice? You know, I mean, Tom Brady is is calling different plays for the first time in his life. I mean, he was – he's having to study and figure out – he and Gronk, instead of just a wink and a nod now, are going – you know, blue whiskey, Charlie, and they're going. Oh, well, that means this in New yeah, England, yeah. <laughs> and now you got to translate it from yeah. French to Spanish. You know, in order yeah. to get it going there. But at some point, there's going to be this huge curve, right? That's going to be, uh, you know, the, the the new teams, the new guys suck early on, and then it's going to be like, oh damn, those guys are finally getting it. You know, like like the Bengals. I mean, I, yeah. you can make a case the Bengals are going to have a, a big time year where they've got all these receiving talents. They've got Joe Burrow. Yeah. They've got at least one guy on the offensive line yeah, to yeah. make it work. So I, I think that there's, as far as a broadcaster, as far as interesting television, 
I think all of that makes it better than it's ever been. I mean, there's not the, the there's no such thing to me in this season as chalk anything. Like anything can happen in this year. Well, and you think about like it's also Styles making fights because like Brady and like Peyton Manning, if he was playing now, can you imagine just the anxiety he'd have that he can't like spend the whole offseason with Reggie Wayne throwing like the perfect timing passes? Like whereas a guy like Rodgers, Mahomes, like they're more improvisation quarterbacks. Maybe they're more re- resilient in times like this, and it's going to take the you know the Derek Carrs and the sort of more rhythm guys half the season to be any good, and it's going to take more of the improvisation guys. Or when you look at the opt outs around the league, you, know, you have like a huge fraction of them are linemen. Right, so if if you're a team and you maintained some of your size up front, either on offense or defense, do you do better against a team like Tennessee with a big hmm. running back? Right, like there are all these like interesting questions. It's really interesting. That, that like I think will, I don't know the, the fact like we're probably not even going to be able to solve all of them. But every single week there's going to be like an interesting COVID related sort of question to to answer. Yeah, but I, I've got you know the one I want to ask. About from you two guys, my two mathematicians here. You guys are geniuses. Have we now reached the point where we're possibly paying the quarterbacks too much money? Oh, God. And I think the Dallas Cowboys are trying to figure that out with mm-hmm. Dak. Like, I went back, I just told you, I went back and I watched every PFF graded throw. There was, there was 350, 320 something. Um, that he had on the season. So I watched every game. So I'm watching all this different stuff. And I, my conclusion was he had a couple of bad days in there. He doesn't throw very well in the rain in New England. I know that. that, was, that was, he got hurt against the no one does in the, in the cold, and that hurt him badly too. Yeah, so he had, there was a couple of bad moments. But to, in my mind, he is almost the perfect balance of a guy who throws from the pocket, who can run read option, design runs, mm-hmm. you know, um, that can scramble, that can, you know, that is smart, is has the charisma. Like, he has, a, like, a really good blend of things. And I think he's, you know, it's still, what, his fifth year or something. Mm-hmm. He's still young in, in the thing. I would have paid him, right? And I think what's happening is that some of these teams are starting to go, well, you know, when Seattle had Russell Wilson on a rookie contract – uh, and when Aaron Rodgers wasn't making $35 million a year, and, you know, when Colin Kaepernick was on a rookie contract, when Lamar Jackson's on a rookie contract, Patrick Mahomes on a rookie contract, now all of a sudden these teams are going, Jared Goff went to the Super Bowl on a rookie contract, that all of a sudden these, these teams are the ones that are getting there. And how many teams are sitting out there going, hmm, you know, I wonder. I wonder if if we haven't reached that point now where it's too much, and because you give me thirty five million dollars, or let's let's say thirty million dollars, the difference in a rookie contract and where they are now, thirty million dollars buys a lot of grade A football players that fill in a lot of different positions. Counterpoint, though. So for the Cowboys, with respect to the Cowboys, in, in um, leave the other teams out of it for a second. We wouldn't be having this conversation if they just didn't buy the sound system before the TV, right? Like, they, they went and paid Zeke and Demarcus Lawrence. Yeah. Well, and also... And, and just forgot about the most important player on the team. And if those two guys are gone, and they paid Dak, we don't notice. Yeah. Well, and the other thing was Dak, Dak's rookie deal sort of bailed him out from a, a lot of bad contracts before. 
You know, like the the Romo deal had ramifications. The or the, and and Romo, you know, got hurt, so we're not going to. But there were they 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 weren't exactly like piling on money to take advantage of Dak's rookie deal the way that like Baltimore was, Kansas City was. Like Kansas City bought Sammy Watkins for sixteen mil a year. He's a third receiver. He's a luxury, but you mm-hmm. can do that when you have Mahomes. To I think to your point, like. When you look at, let's say, the top six teams in terms of war generated by wide receiver, tight end, O-line quarterback, Baltimore by a country mile, actually, Kansas City, Seattle, Atlanta, Dallas, Houston, four of those six teams, quarterbacks on rookie deals. Atlanta spent a ton on offense and got a decent amount of value out of Calvin Ridley and some, you know, but can't can't buy a break on defense. Seattle has the one quarterback that I think we all know can take, can win even with lower round draft picks. But the thing that we don't realize is the floor bottoms out when you when you sign a quarterback to that big of a deal and it doesn't work. So look the teams that did the worst in this, Pittsburgh, Big Ben, paid a lot, gets hurt, you know, they can't even have offense. They they have a the best defense in the league besides New England last year and can't can't win. Can, can you a believe? Week, I mean, in a weak AFC too. How, how good could Pittsburgh be this year? If they, I mean, they were pulling guys off the yeah. street and went 500 yep. last year. Yeah. So anyway, that's a so. Different so stuff. the second worst, Cincinnati. Andy Dalton paid a hefty sum for a quarterback who's, you know, down the back of in Dallas. In Dallas, Carolina. Cam Newton gets hurt. Bottom falls out of that team. Washington paid Alex Smith a ton of money. He gets hurt. Bottom falls out of that team. The, and then and then you get up to the Jets, and the Jets are one where they leverage their future for Darnold. So they they traded four picks for the right to take Darnold, and and you know even though they're not saddled from a roster perspective because they paid Darnold too much money, they're saddled from a roster perspective both I think by bad decisions and the fact that they traded multiple picks to get their quarterback. So I think to your point, if you if you sell the farm for a QB, it does it has. I don't think the ceiling is as high as if you hit on a rookie quarterback. Well, and, and you've but got the floor the d- is extremely low, and that's what people are trying to avoid. And they miss, they miss the. I think they miss the point there. Yeah, I mean, you get the double whammy if you you lose the other players because you're out of salary. And to your point, you're one injury away from having a train wreck of a season. You know, I mean, yeah. it, it, it's a. I, I I've never spent more time, and I, I was wearing you out. <laughs> I was like, come on, man, figure this out. Uh, thinking about that, and I kept looking at it from the Cowboys' standpoint, uh, and it was part of the reason I wanted to go back and study all those plays was I wanted to to really form my opinion on it. Um, you know, and, and there's some other discussion points with this. You know, I mean, uh, you brought up Ezekiel Elliott. Ezekiel Elliott really is was a non-factor in the passing game. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, when I went through all the key passes, the graded passes, I think he was on there twice. Of the whole season, yeah. which, you know, I mean. And somehow they were the most efficient team, most efficient passing team. Yeah. Right? And, Led and, the league in yards they got, per play. They yards got pass not play. much out of the tight end position, which generally when you think about teams who are getting blitzed, and, and who beat them? Who made them look bad? A team like the New York Jets. Yep. Right, who fire? Yeah, they, who blitz all the time. And they were They need a quick too, pass yeah. to the yeah. running back. They need a quick pass to the tight end. And so, and that didn't really change for Dallas this year. Do you, I mean, they're going to have the, basically the same look. Do you think that Kellen Moore, to your, to your point, because I think one of the things that McCarthy's doing so well, I mean, he said that he had the money quote this week that said, I need to learn as much as anybody in this room, which I think is a really 
great way to say, look, like I've been a successful head coach in the NFL, but Kellen's been successful too, as evidenced by an offense that was top 10 in the league in almost every metric. But do you think that, because when you look at Green Bay during his time, it was James, he took some really bad backs and made pretty efficient offense in the, in the underneath game. James Starks, Dewan Harris, and then Eddie Lacy, like was a, you know, he was, he was a high draft pick, but he was a pretty good receiver. Like, do you think that he molds that offense into using Zeke? Because that's a pretty expensive back when only, what, one or two of his plays are any sort of meaningful plays in the passing game. And, he, and he's not even as good as Tony yeah. Pollard. You know what? I mean, it was late in the year. Tony Pollard was given a couple of opportunities. He's really good. And he, he's, he doesn't know what he's doing. Okay, let me start there. So he was running routes, and he could get his, himself open. He scored a nice touchdown on one of them. But you can tell he can't. He didn't know how to read man zone. He didn't know whether to sit down or keep going. So, you know, when somebody's really confused and instead of stopping or sprinting, they're kind of jogging. They, just, yeah. <laughs> they didn't really know. But, but he has some real skills to him as well. But I want to get back to Kellen Moore just a little bit. Um, to me, it's like we're, we're all stupid at something, right? So Kellen Moore, when they played the New York Jets and Greg Williams just – just got him. He just got him. You know, they, they weren't ready for it. They didn't do bunch formations. They didn't do picks. They didn't, they didn't do anything. I mean, it was, I was like, I was really impressed with Kellen Moore for the first yeah. half of the season. I was like, that was just bad. Okay. From that moment on, though, they had that figured out. Other teams that tried to blitz them, they bunched, they picked, they were doing a lot of things. So when you learn from mistakes, I think that's a pretty good indicator that you're going to have a good Well, career. Jason Garrett – Maybe hung him out to dry. Who knows? I mean, so, like, that, that's, a good, that's a really good point. Kelmore's young. He's super young. Yeah. When you're young, you just are oblivious to some of these things that you gain from experience. And you are thinking about all of the other stuff that you've got to do for the first time, and you forget. You know, it's like if you make something for the first time, and you're like, I, you know, forgetting every ingredient. You're reading it six times. The fifth time you make it, you're just in there, you know, jamming. So if you have someone like a Mike McCarthy who can say, hey, by the way, Kellen, I've played against this guy 500 times. Let's be ready for this. And then you have it. That's how that relationship can work really well, in my opinion. Yeah, filling in the gaps. I, yep. I totally agree. And Mike, you know Mike. I mean, he came by PFF. He's fantastic. He's a great guy. And he's not, he's not an ego guy at all. I mean, so will it bother him even a little bit if all of a sudden Kellen Moore becomes a hot coaching prospect? He'll love that. But that, that, that has made a lot of head coaches struggle. And that's the thing I think when you look at great coaches in the NFL. Like, I remember back with, you know, when Todd Haley was coaching the Chiefs and the one year Charlie Weiss got Matt <laughs> Castle into the Pro Bowl. And everybody's like, oh, look, at you know, this is the answer, all this kind of stuff. Todd Haley got so fed up with that that he pushed him out, right? And he... And it's like, and then of course everything falls apart. Uh, you know, you talk about Garrett. Like Garrett's fingerprints kind of got on that offense after the first half of the season. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, I'm not trying to, you know, cast any dispersions on anybody's like, you know, character. But I'm saying maybe there was a little bit of Kellen Moore is the next great thing. I need to make sure that I'm still part of this. And you know, I think the most more you can avoid that, right? The more that you can give people. Uh, you know, responsibility and help them grow. It, it's why, like, you look at, you know, Andy Reid's assistants are all great head coaches. They end up being, you know, they're all coach of the year or something like that. And, you know, there, there's a level of being obviously established enough and having some, like, self, you know, self-awareness. But, like, if, if Mike McCarthy shows that, you look at this Dallas team, you talk about feedback, George. 
when you're a 12 and 4 team on paper and you go 8 and 8, that's a lot of feedback. Yeah. You're going in and you're saying to yourself, what went wrong? The worst thing that could happen to you is to be an 8 and 8 team like Seattle and finish 11 and 5, and you're spending the whole offseason just like, we don't have to change a thing. We just all we play need. away. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And, and so that's why I'm so high on Dallas this year because they look at last season, and, and if I'm looking at that, I'm saying to myself, you know, we're not, we're, we're, if we don't do anything, we could finish 8-8 eight eight again. But if we do some small things, we're a 13-win team, especially in a division that includes you know, two really bad the, teams. The, the Travis Frederick thing worries me a little mm-hmm. bit because they, they struggled in protection. When they struggled in protection, it was left guard last year. Some different people in there due to injury, whatever. And now you take away Frederick, who was not very good last year. I mean, he, was, he wasn't anywhere close to nope. what he was. So now you've got a second offensive line spot. I think the tight end position, Blake Jarwin, I mean, when you watch him, he's great after he catches the ball. If he catches the ball, man, he can, he's exciting. He can go do some things. He's still learning. He had a really good game against the Bears. I thought he, he looked good against the Bears. Um, but so in the running back position, those are the things that bother me, those quick, easy throws. What about the defense, though? Because um, I'm a little worried about their coverage. You know, you lose Byron Jones. You're you're really hoping that some of your young corners can get it together. I, How do you and Mike know? Nolan, and Mike and Nolan's and the Mike guy. Nolan's, I mean, I you, you, he's a, I was the 49ers coach yeah, I remember. 15 years ago. Uh, it, my point being is that um, I think everyone sort of thinks this Cowboys defense has a lot of really talented young guys, and I could see them being a, atrocious defense, like that, having for, to outscore everybody. Yeah. And it's like tough the for them out of the gate, McCoy's right? going to add a little something to them, sure. though. You know, sure. I mean, to get Gerald McCoy in there. Well, Tra- Trayvon Diggs and... is a guy who... Well, but you know nothing about Trayvon right, right. <laughs> I mean, he was amazing in, at Alabama. Yeah. And, it's but like... it, and it's hard for them out of the gate because they go to L.A., which I'm not high on them, but like they could be a good offense. They got some smart people. Home to Falcons. Falcons have a good offense at Seattle. And then week four, they have Cleveland at home. And I think Cleveland, like it might be one of these teams where we're looking back right now and being like, their win total over is the biggest cinch of all time. And I, you know, so it, it, maybe they're not a 13-win team. If yeah, you look maybe at the not. first four, I don't Well, know. most teams aren't. I mean, yeah. to get back to your original question, though, it, the, paying the quarterback, not paying the quarterback, we always search for the one answer, and maybe that's the problem. There really isn't one, hey, this mold fits, and you've got to squeeze into this, and that's how you run your team. Having a great quarterback who you don't pay a lot of money, yeah, that's great. Is it something that you can do repeatably? No. If you find a great quarterback, are you better off paying him or trying to get another young guy that you pay cheaply? No, absolutely not. Pay Patrick Mahomes. Where I think that's an easy one. That's an easy one. Let's go to the harder ones <laughs> after that. But that's the thing. So there's this middle ground where you go, I don't know that much about a guy, but I want him to be good so badly that I'm going to pay him. Well, too especially much. if you've drafted him highly. So Jared Goff, Jared Goff, right? Yeah, yeah. First overall pick is an organization you want to have to pay him a hundred million dollars because mm-hmm. you got it right. Yep. They go to the Super Bowl. The trajectory is this, and you got that. But now you pay him, and you go, okay. There goes my guard. There goes my tackle. There goes my nose tackle. There goes my linebacker. And all of a sudden, we win eight games. Yep. Now, did Jared Goff change? Probably not that much. Did people catch up with that offense a little bit? Probably so. But how do you how do you extrapolate out the the meaning of we paid them, they're gone, 
and our team's not as good. Well, you, and that's that's a really hard equation for me to figure you out. You bring up such a great point about the sort of like the trophy that is we got to pay our number one overall pick quarterback. <laughs> yes. Because the last two quarterbacks who I think are bona fide starters in the league that failed to get a, a long-term deal were both fourth-round picks. Kirk Cousins of Washington and Dak Prescott of, of uh, the Cowboys. And I do think that there's so much – like that's where you, I think you have to be careful about paying the quarterback because – you know, obviously, if you're Washington, one of the reasons you didn't pay Kirk Cousins is it was kind of an admission of being wrong. Like you drafted RG three, traded up for RG three, so you know, and took him, and you, all all the while you took a guy who was better. Dallas wanted to trade up for Paxton Lynch, failed, and you know, ended up with Prescott. You know, still living in Johnny Football's <laughs> shadow. To be yeah, yeah. So, but like the question, and, and it's all of these things. It's what it, whatever you're talking about, you have to ask the question: Am I doing this? to elicit and am i doing this because to justify something i did before or am i doing this to try to get something out of a play like am i extending this quarterback to try to give him an extra confidence boost or something like that like it's so hard not to inject these things and i I agree there's a few slam dunks mahomes wilson maybe rogers but after that it's really tough and i i do err on the side of going back in um because there are enough teams in the league i mean look the seahawks gave two first round picks a starting player and a, and swapped picks for a safety. Imagine if one of these teams went in and said, "Hey, Jared Goff's available." You know, Jay Cutler was available. The moment the moment that Jay Cutler found out that Josh McDaniel was going after Matt Castle, he bailed. They knew they had to trade him, and he still got multiple picks from the Bears. Like to me, like that's if a guy's just kind of Dalton-ish, I'm I'm shipping him out for some I, picks. I, I I personally, and everybody has their own opinion. I personally would struggle with giving up first-round draft picks because forget the player. Like Jamal Adams is a great player. Yeah. I'm not arguing that at all. But a, you got to pay him, mm-hmm. right? A if lot. you're going to keep him, you got to pay him a lot, yeah. and you're giving up cheap replacements. Yep. Like I could draft two safeties, and I might hit on one. I, I had, I still own a horse, but I should, but. So I had a horse racing guy, a trainer, and we were gonna. We had a big group of people, and we're gonna put seventy-five thousand dollars in and, and buy a horse. We're all putting in five grand or whatever, and we're gonna buy one horse. And he said, "You guys are so stupid." And I go, "What are you talking about, man? We're trying to." He goes, "You should buy three twenty-five thousand dollar horses, and your chances of hitting one of those is so much higher than trying to find that one seventy-five. And to me, that's the way I would do it as well. I, I would be like at the end of the day, if I were the Bengals, and I knew what I was going to come on with Joe Burrow, that I knew I was going to take Joe Burrow, I probably would have started unloading every veteran player I had, no matter how good they were, anticipating that I wanted to try and be good in years two, three, and four, mm-hmm. right? I'm going to give Joe one year to figure it out. I want to be good in two, three, and four. So I want to start saving my pennies mm-hmm. so that I – and I want to, as many draft picks as I can because I want all of them to get good together, like Seattle or yep. one of those kind of yeah. things. But, I mean, everybody has their own strategy of how to so do it. So here's an extension of that, though. Then would you have been would you have been okay with trading back to five and taking Tua? Like, is the differential between Burrow and Tua – enough to justify because there could have been a situation where you made maybe got a three-way trade going and and or or with miami yeah like so miami, just miami you pick yeah, up you, two more first you, rounders, yeah three because more first rounders. Cause in that way like let's say like the question i'm basically asking is would you be okay with tua and jordan love as opposed to over burrow would you 
ask me in five years. You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, nobody knows, right? right? We, what's nobody your, has what's your answer to that? I would have done it. You, you would have taken I don't, the two well, of them. Not, not Jordan Love, but uh, one of the quarterbacks that uh, – Jalen Hurts. I would have – I would have figured out a way to get Hurts. J- Jalen Hurts is a whole other story, but yeah. but my, my my personal opinion is quarterback might be the one exception of the rule. Like we know, there's eight guys playing to go to the Super Bowl every year, right? I mean, those same eight guys, it's, yep. it's never changing. So if, if I thought I had one of those, if I thought on draft day I had one of those eight. I'm not giving it up for anything. And I think that's what the Bengals did. I mean, you think about So I played in the 80s, and we went to the Super Bowl the only two times in franchise history, clearly because of me. But it had probably had something to do with we had an MVP quarterback in 81. We had an MVP quarterback in 88, right? So if you have one of those, and I know Mike Brown believes that. I know Mike Brown believes basically as I do. If you have one of those eight, it doesn't really – you can screw up a lot of other stuff and get away with it. And so I probably would – Burrow impressed me so much with how he got away from the pass rush, and he's going to get tested to the hilt on that this year. But I, I think he's a special guy. Yeah, the, you I, can I would, make a case with the injuries to Tua as well that it wasn't – the differential is big enough. But it's a good question, right? I, I think when you watch Joe Burrow play football like he did in his last year at LSU – you see the type of plays that at the NFL level, there's only two guys that make right now. I think Deshaun Watson may be creeping into that group with Russell Wilson and Patrick Mahomes, but there's only a handful of guys that make those types of plays. And so if I can get one of those guys, and I don't think two is one of those guys, um, then, then I would not give it up. I think, I think you make a good point, Chris, though, about the, the problem is, is that we still don't view football players as means to wins anymore. We still view them, and I think that there's a human element of it, but the Bears view Khalil Mack as a trophy. Like, we have an amazing football player on our team, and now, it doesn't, like, to them, or to us, it matters that they, like, leverage their entire future, and they're in a, one of the worst positions in the league right now to get that trophy, right? That player that's amazing. But like no one, like your your view is is looking at them as sort of assets, right? And and they, you know, I need, I don't care which of these three work, uh, I just I need two of the three to work. And it and if the the one that I picked first is the one that didn't, who cares? We're still winning football games. I don't think that's how people operate, though. I think that there there's a ton of pride in what they in the choice of one, two, three. And if two and three work and they win a Super Bowl, they're still like a little bit in their head saying. Ugh. I, you know, I, I failed here. You know what the other part of this thing is? And I know the whole DeAndre Hopkins thing has made people scream this year. Um, but when, when I look at that, and I don't think you can ever have a conversation about football that doesn't include money. So whatever DeAndre Hopkins is going to make, let's say $20 million sure. a year, right? Somewhere in that category. So now what do you have to replace that? You have three guys that run 4-3 basically, and you've got Randall Cobb. Now, Randall Cobb, to me, was the biggest surprise watching that Cowboys tape, how many times he was in key moments. And I know he had drops, and I know he had some other issues. Maybe that's why they went 8-8. Eight eight. But he was a reliable guy, and he got his butt kicked a couple times and held on to the ball. And we, we all know Deshaun Watson's going to be scramble around. He's going to take 60 sacks. 
uh, but he's going to create some of the most magical plays we've seen all year, right? I mean, that's who he is. Uh, that's uh, Russell Wilson's like that. I think Aaron Rodgers, to some extent, mm-hmm. plays that in that same sort of way. So, and and was it a bad deal when you take the twenty million for a receiver? And the fact that you've got a guy from Dallas that basically you didn't pay anywhere close to that, yeah. and you've got three guys that run 4-3, you know, I, I, I don't know. And, and is it possible David Johnson comes back, you know, if he's anywhere close to what he was? Cobb so. averaged more than 10 yards a target last year, despite dropping nine passes. That's a pretty that's – that's an efficient player. My, I would push back on saying they took on a player in David Johnson – you would have needed to give me picks yeah. to take on, given his I, I understand that. It's not as simple. As, I don't think it's as simple as saying, you know, they got rid of Hopkins, so it was, it was, but there was a ton of, there is, there probably was reasonable ways to get, you know, I think one of the ones that, you know, we had heard was that the average depth of target was down, but then you look and one of their goals last year was clearly to get the ball out of Watson's hand faster, which, which is going to correspond to lower depths of targets for guys like Hopkins. But, I do think the only – obviously getting rid of Hopkins is a bad thing, but if they would have done something like what Minnesota did with Diggs, I don't think people would have given him enough, as much flack. Because, you know, I, I, I contend trading your best player is never a good thing, but if you can get several draft picks, including a number one for a non-quarterback, you probably did okay. And you have to, you have to factor in, even if they're number one draft picks, you pay them so much less mm-hmm. than you pay – those veteran guys, I mean, and maybe I should have broadened the conversation out to quarterbacks and veteran superstars who are going to be twenty million dollars or more. You know, is that is that the right formula in today's NFL to to do that? Because man, you start stacking twenty million dollar contracts on top of each other. Now you're down to five guys and a bunch of rookies. Well, right? Yeah, well that's City's what the gonna, Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, and we wrote we wrote about this in the and there's something I want to study over the next couple of weeks. But one of the things we studied right around the combine was when you look at defense, it's always like the fifth most the fifth highest graded guy how he does impacts the defense more than how the highest graded guy does and that's again because offenses have so much freedom to attack your weaknesses so when i look at a team like kansas city if tyron matthew were to get hurt i don't think they could stop anybody you know because they you know you could just literally go in and be like well now Sorensen's got to play two positions and he stinks at one position okay and now look at their corners we're both undrafted guys now i'm get the and but there, there's, a, I think, a tie-in. If you could have a, a, a player who's a superstar that does multiple things well, right, then, then it, I think you can change the calculus. But if I'm building a defense, there's no – I don't think I'm building it the way that Kansas City does with Frank Clark, Chris Jones, Tyron Matthew, and a bunch of guys that – I don't know, man. I, I think if any one of their superstars get hurt, especially in the secondary, you got to score 35 to win every game. All right, so now I have a question for George. Mr. 49er. You, you love your 49ers. I do. And that's great. I, I do, too. I really like watching that team play. And the Shanahan family, you know. They're my, fantastic. My, Mike was my coach at Florida. Mm-hmm. He was, how about my offensive coordinators? Not, not my head coaches. I had Charlie Pell and Doug Dickey as head coaches. My two offensive coordinators that I had there, Mike Shanahan, Steve Spurrier. Not bad. Really, really bad, right? Not bad. I, I, awesome. I learned some football from those yeah, two guys. Yeah. Shanahan was 26 years old at the time. We'd take him to the bars with us after the game. He'd get carded. We wouldn't. You know, he was our coach. So that was the way that, that whole thing went down. But let, let's talk about one of the core concepts of PFF. Because for me, whether it's religion, 
politics, you've got to be able to stand on your pillars and and take challenges. And and you know me with PFF. You guys sit, tell me something, I challenge you a hundred different ways. Yes. So let's talk about the impact of the running game. Occasionally that gets translated as the running game doesn't matter. And uh, and there's we'll get into that conversation in a minute as well. But you're talking about your 49ers who I, I've watched <clears throat> Kyle Shanahan coach. <clears throat> they do more work on the running game than any team I've ever seen. Any team I've ever seen. And they went to the Super Bowl, and you, I could make an argument they were the best team in the Super Bowl. Sorry about that, Eric. But <clears throat> that they were the best team. They got jobbed. <laughs> they got they got jobbed. <clears throat> but, and I picked them, so I'm still a little bitter about the whole thing. Yeah, see, at least I didn't do that. Yeah, yeah. So I was, that was bad. <laughs> Neither one of us got to really celebrate it, <laughs> yeah. given how it happened. We <laughs> both so. lost money. Made money. I don't know what you did. So, all right, but, it, but let's talk about the running game itself and the impact on football because clearly that's a team that is based on their outside zone concepts, running the ball, and their play action off of it. So now translate that for me into the – meaning of the running game in the NFL because not only the 49ers but also the Titans are two run first teams and both made it to the final four yeah um the first thing that I would point to is that the Niners as impressive as their total rushing was at the end of the season you know people just couldn't stop citing it they weren't that efficient from a per play running basis they weren't they were I want to say they were 10th or 12th, 14th. 14th in terms of expected points added per run play, which kind of goes to show you, you see these big highlight runs at the end of games when they're winning, and you think, man, that's why they won the game. And in reality, they had to be winning in order for those highlight real plays to, to be there. And I keep thinking back to that New Orleans game, where the re- that was the most impressive win of the season. Clearly. And they won it because Jimmy Garoppolo made throws. And that offense in the passing game was a top-five offense throwing the football. Um, and that's why they, they were successful offensively. Now, does it help that you can show teams a run concept and then play action off of it? Absolutely. But you don't have to be great at it. The data backs this up in order to run that play action. And they weren't great at it. I, I look at it, <clears throat> the number one reason for me to – to use the running game is protection. Like when I look at the outside zone protection schemes, and there's half the league, right, um, is doing that. But because, and and you guys are right, and I've actually used your line on the air before, that it doesn't matter that that play action works whether you're running the ball well or not. By the way, quick aside. Did I screw it up? No, no. When you said that, we're, we watch the games together, right, yeah. upstairs. We're, you know, working and sending I stuff. I popped the bottle of champagne. <laughs> I know. I, I get I, the invoice. I know. <laughs> I, am, I am doing somersaults. I'm doing cartwheels. I'm I, I got hot down. on Twitter that week, too. You got, you, like, every, people are like, oh, he's enlightened. The analytics community. But the funny thing is every other time, you know, before that, when you – whether just because that's what you normally say or would say, you know, establishing the run or whatever, I'd get a couple of, of you know, DMs like, hey, man, I thought you worked for this company. I thought you were helping out. It takes a while. I'm a slow learner. I'm but anyways, learner. yeah, you have used that, and I'm assuming I've talked to coaches about it too. But, but you, you talk about, like I, I watched Jared Goff's every one of his throws this past year too, 
And with that offensive line in L.A. that, that had a tough year, if, if you took away the outside zone play action and boot leg, there's no way they could pass protect. There's no way. Right, that was- so, so now I look at the Cincinnati Bengals and I go, could that happen here? In other words, could just the idea of mixing and, and the outside zone give him enough time? And then it, does it create a scenario where I can pay less for offensive linemen because it doesn't matter. If, you, if, you, if your offensive linemen start that stretch run play mm-hmm. and the back's going that way and the quarterback's extending the ball, you have no choice as a defense but to go fill your gap, and your pass rush isn't getting there for at least four seconds. Well, and that's one of the things that we, we built with our you know, college-to-pro stuff was trying to test that out. Like, how bad can a lineman be to be functional in a system where you run play action 40% of the time? Pretty good. They can be pretty – they can be – a just sixth round just as long as they're not as bad as what the Rams have. Yeah, the sixth-round lineman can be a fourth-round value if you do all these things to protect the player. The issue, I think, the only issue I have, and I think part of one of the things that people like me and George just have to come to grips with, is there are inefficiencies in football. And like, no matter what, we were talking to Cliff Averill the other day, no matter what we say, it's probably going to be about 10 years before linebackers don't bite on play action again and anymore. Right, they're, that's what they're taught. That's and and they can say it all they want, but there's no data to suggest that they bite less when a team is bad at running. The you ball. know who is the first team that I really ever saw? So two teams, Philadelphia back in the day with Jim Johnson as the defensive coordinator, yeah. not Jimmy Johnson, the head coach yeah. of the Cowboys. Jim Johnson, Jeremiah Trotter, and all those. Yeah, yeah. and I, I asked him one time. I was like, I go, you've given up 200 yards per game rushing the last couple of weeks. He said, I don't care. I go, what are you talking about? You don't care. He goes, you've got to be able to stop the run and win football. Like, i got yeah, it yeah, in yeah, my yeah, brain, yeah. right? He goes, no, you don't. He goes, what makes you think that? I goes, I just got to keep them from throwing it over my head and score touchdowns, right? The other team, the Kansas City Chiefs, last year. Right. The, so the, the, 2008, the 2016 playoff game, you, got, you and Al did, when they played the Steelers, and Le'Veon ran for 180 yards on, like, but they held them to 18 points and were in the game because it was like, I'd rather have Le'Veon Bell – Going five, six, seven at a time, then Big Ben and Antonio Brown against Terrence Mitchell all game. Like there's there's a baiting, and I always thought Bob Sutton wasn't great at the end, but that was one thing I think he fundamentally understood. Like we have bad corners, and I can trick a team into into settling for five yards of play when they can over the top of me for. If Bob Sutton had the corners they had last year out there, they would have been fine. Yeah, yeah. And and, and Tyron Matthew, you know, yeah, and to be able to do he was pretty, he was pretty amazing. Um, but, but there there are inefficiencies in the game that I think we always say like we always come from the idea of like eventually these inefficiencies are going to get rolled out of the game because that's how all these That's markets, my point. Okay. Uh, uh, now you're all the way back to my reason for bringing this up to George. I think there are certain parts of football that have had it wrong for a thousand years, however long we've been playing football, a hundred years, that they've had it wrong. And the idea that you, you put these people up there, the extra person, if you will, in the box, is fundamentally flawed that if you're, you're what you should be protecting, and like teams like the 49ers that have a great four-man pass rush that can play seven guys back there in the yep. secondary – that's unbelievable, right? Whereas most teams feel like they they have to stop the that's, run. That's the thing. And so they're going to put the extra guy in there. So they're going to give up the big pass plays. So are we now beginning to 
get to that tipping point where people go, well, let me think about this for yeah, a second. Yeah. Maybe. Well, I mean, do you th- I would say that while we hope they're getting to that tipping point, I don't think we are. There's, football is such a noisy game that I feel like, like we've made so many strides in a lot of ways. Like think about fourth downs. The game, you know, your Super Bowl, the, the last one, New England versus Philadelphia. If Philadelphia doinks on those two fourth down plays, it probably sets football back a half a decade, don't you think? <laughs> Absolutely. If Baltimore, if Baltimore does it, and we even saw it last year, Baltimore's what? 18 for 20 or some crap on fourth. And, yep. and then and the they, Titans come they to They donk the two ones in the, in the, in the playoff game against the Titans. And everybody's like, see, analytics don't work. Yeah. You know, like, and I, I think that there's so much noise in football. You take a team like Seattle, right? Seattle is going to look at their last two seasons, 10 and 6, 11 and 5. And it was because they decided to re, re go, go with the run game and bloody and other teams nose and all this kind of stuff. Play base on defense. Play base. Play four three base with yep. no no nickel. And it's like no, you won for other reasons other than that. But like you're one of thirty two. You're three percent of the league that's going to continue this sort of meme forward until you you somehow hit bad variance, right? And meanwhile, there's another team like the Niners who. I will say with the Niners and the Titans, you look at their schedules over the time when they were running the football the way they were and got all of us to fall in love with that. They were very simple schedules, right? And you're not – the Rams – the hard part about the Rams, you talk about them, the reason like it got so tough for them in the middle of the season was they got behind. And it, it's so much harder to run those, those boot action things. Minnesota was another team. Easy schedule, so they run a bunch of play action. Well, why? Because they're ahead by seven the whole game. And they didn't have Todd Gurley going 80 yards with screen passes anymore. Yeah, I mean, that one yeah. year was freaky. Yeah, he was but, and that, that offensive line was insane but, that but year. But football, football schedules are short. Rob football game, what happened? Yeah, right. I don't know. No Roger Saffold. Football games are short. Football <laughs> schedules are short. And in short amount of time, anybody that's been at the blackjack for an hour, a table for an hour, and you don't know anything can happen. Never, I feel like football never happened to me. I don't know. <laughs> football football's that way where we chase after these things. And I think... And I, and I do think that eventually the league becomes efficient, but it's way slower than I think the three of us would ever Im- imagine. Here's my thought on the Niners and why they've been successful while the Rams have kind of ground to a halt. To me, there's a diversity in the Niners' offense that isn't there with a lot of these other run-first, play-action-heavy teams. Jimmy Garoppolo had one of the quickest time to throws in the NFL. They, they managed to run play-action – they didn't take a ton of deep shots. They were massively efficient when they did. But they leveraged quick game. You know, their run game, yeah, it was outside zone. But they also did, they were like the only team in the top five in terms of outside zone and like pulling, you know, man concepts, right? Like And reverses. I yeah, mean, they ran as many reverses in the Super sure. Bowl. Sure. Yeah, I mean, with you know, Debo. Yeah. But, but that's the other part of this thing is that you have to go all in. Like, their receivers, whether it's Kittle or Debo Samuel or whatever, that those guys can block, right? Mm-hmm. They can come in there, and when you're playing those tight edges like the Rams and the 49ers and all these teams like to do now to get the crossing routes, but the, the blocking is a big thing. Then you add on top of it a running quarterback in Lamar Jackson, right? And, and I know I'm jumping teams. But it, now you've changed the math entirely. Yeah. So now as the league is starting to evolve away from that extra guy in the box, the, the Ravens are going, we're going to add a guy mm-hmm. to our box because now our halfback is a blocking back for the quarterback. Instead of my quarterback turning around and handing off and cheering for the play, mm-hmm. right? 
Now I've got a, an extra blocker. So the math of the running game, they completely altered. I, it was, I was coaching high school football over at Highlands High School, and I was like, I never thought about it. So on, in big moments of the game, we would run a quarterback sweep because it added one guy to the blocking, and you could double-team the end, you could pull a guard, you could do things that you couldn't do. And so you wonder, can the Ravens, is it just because they're like a one-off team? And it's so hard to get ready like the old 46 defense of the Bears and it's just impossible to get ready for in a week? Or will the whole league catch up to it? Or will the whole league start to do it like the Buffalo Bills or something like that? Well, we've shown that like the more unique your scheme is, however we measure it, you have a better chance of covering the spread in the betting market. Like, it's just harder for teams, whether it's offense, it's a little less so for defense. But the more unique your scheme is, it was always the thing with the Broncos when they had Tebow. It was like, ah, Tebow stinks. How the heck is this happening? It's like, well, you know, it takes, it, it takes an extra couple seconds to, to you know, to, to think about, you know, it's Tebow week, right? And we always, in high school football, we always had a, you know, it, it's this school that runs four wide receivers week, right? And now you got to play two small guys who never play, and now they got to play dime for your team. Did you ever play safety ever? Yeah, I played. Yeah, I played safety for a little while. I mean, when I was coaching high school stuff a little bit, we were playing this team that runs all this yeah. misdirection and all this stuff. And you just sit back there and you watch it. You go, I have no idea where the ball is. <laughs> As a coach, I, I had no idea where the ball was. It could have gone one of three, or the quarterback could have been handed. But when your defense starts going sideways and it starts, it starts getting un- – they're not attacking. Mm-hmm. Like defensive guys are cavemen. They're yep. cavemen. They just yeah. want to take their club and beat somebody over the head. And when you get them running sideways, they look like fools they, out there. Yeah, just thinking. I mean, that, that's the thing. Like for us, the school was named Hill Murray. It was the one team that ran four wide receivers. And so we, had, we always had like their package. But like you got to learn that in a week. Right, and you got two backup defensive backs that never play, and then now all of a sudden you got them on the field. It's the same thing with the Ravens. Now the third linebacker for every team is a backup. It's the four three base is no. So if you can get the other team putting their third linebacker on the field, not only can you exploit them in the run game, you can exploit them with tight ends in the pass game. And there's there's something to that. The hard part is. Like, we've always said this about a number of different players. Was Kaepernick this way? Was Vince Young was the one. Like, his, his first year in Tennessee, we're all thinking, like, is this going to revolutionize offensive football? Like, the only question I have about something like that is, if the rest of the league is going to replicate it, is, there a sing- is, is Lamar Jackson a singular player in terms of athleticism and, and, you know, what he does on the football field? And if Lamar Jackson is a singular player, how sustainable it is, is it? Because it's tough, right? But, but it's, it's – here, here's my theory. All right, I'm just going to lay this on you. That okay? What if I rotated quarterbacks every five years? I took a guy in the first round, so I got a fifth year option on him. I'm going to keep all my star players, and at the end of five years, Lamar—maybe not Lamar, because he's pretty damn good—but most guys, I, I'm going to rotate through that system one more time. But I'm going to have a unique enough system to, and I'm going to load up on my defense because I've got all that extra money. You know, I, I just think that right now we're all – football is more interesting to me now than it ever has been. And it is in part because of Lamar Jackson. For the first time ever, a team went all in on an option playing quarterback, a running playing quarterback. And what they discovered was that not only did it change the math on blocking schemes in the run game, it also changed the math when teams had to stop that – so now you get all these quick 
fast wide receivers mm-hmm. out there, and they're running one-on-one routes. Yep. Yeah. Now what? Now what? He can certainly throw it well enough to. I think he led the league in touchdown passes last Mar- year. Mark I mean, Andrews they, running just well, wide open down they, the seat. Yeah. They didn't put any money. I mean, their their offense. So last season, even if even though the Chiefs had a quarterback on a rookie deal, they spent about eighty million on offense. It was about the same as actually Seattle spent. Baltimore spent less than fifty million on offense. So there when you go. look at when you look at defense and how unstable it is. The way that you can kind of get around that maybe is to just load. Like you traded for Marcus Peters. Brandon Carr's never missed a start since 2008 as a corner in the NFL, which is amazing. Go get Calais Campbell. You get, yeah, you have Earl Thomas. You have Chuck Clark, who we always talk about, like Jamal Adams being the pass rusher. Chuck Clark led the league in pass rushes by his safety last year. And then you have, you know, you had Tony Jefferson for a time. You had Tavon Young, who's kind of in the mix. Like, they're kind of, like, we think of defense as being unstable, which I think it is. But if you spend two-thirds of your salary cap on it, maybe you can avoid that. The, the thing, not only did they buy, they bought into a quarterback who runs, but they also bought into, like, they don't have much of any talent on the outside other than, you know, Hollywood Brown, right? Like, Willie Sneed's playing snaps for them. Well, yeah, and he's got a... Uh screw in his foot yeah so i mean we'll see i i, I, I it's worth noting i, I mean, mean look the the titans made them look kind of would they they know, played the foolish. fewest number of snaps from behind and we saw what right. happened like you know the the uh, an offense like chiefs with mahomes is always going to be more resilient when you're behind as we saw in the playoffs than like the ravens we're gonna have to see lamar jackson in a lot more of like the feature space in football but it's still it's interesting to see the approach they're taking i agree with you i think the fact that you look at the way teams like the Niners, you know, the the Ravens, the Chiefs, like all these great teams all did it differently last year. And at the same time, you know, it comes back to passing efficiency and they were all, you know, the most efficient passing teams in the league. So really interesting stuff. Um, this has been a blast. It's taken us a decent amount of time, but I do have some quick hitting questions for you. There we go. Chris. Um, you're preparing for week one. Yes. Okay. Uh, we've talked a lot about or not us but it's been talked a lot about how you know you and al go out to dinners you know on on the road are you guys just going to do takeout delivery drive through because i have an idea wow I, we, George we, has a food i have a idea. pitch we we, 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 ha- we need <laughs> ideas we, i have yeah. a pitch for you okay the restaurant business is struggling clearly i know how devoted you and al are to the restaurant business as am i it's yes. a large part of my life could help as you go around the country, could help shed some light on some restaurateurs that are doing a bang up job delivering food to the hungry people of that city. Get the film crew. I'm trying to see how, how George folds himself. In how, look, I'm willing to You'll be, be eating well at the end of the story. I, will, I don't still know how I will play any this. role possible. Um, you go pick up the food, you highlight the restaurant, maybe you show some behind the scenes stuff, and then you just get a little, you know, film you guys eating for a couple minutes. Yeah. Makes its way in there. You get a joke or two, um, and you're doing some good. And you could call it like uh, Sunday Night Eats. Well, <laughs> this is what NBC would describe it as. They would describe it as a 30 second commercial for which they could get seven hundred thousand dollars or whatever it is. Like every time one of us happens to mention George, what commissioner are you? Talking? Yeah, right. a, a, good, a good restaurant or uh, some place we like. They go. <clears throat> If we could have done that ourselves, we would have made whatever they're making. Well, you know, let so me, one show on television. It's insane. Let me tell you what. There's a couple companies that deliver food that must be doing well. Maybe like an Uber, Uber Eats, that I'm sure would love to sponsor that. 
So hey, you go find a seven hundred thousand dollar commercial, and I promise you, all the, I will get an audience for you. The only thing George needs is more work. So good, <laughs> congratulations! <laughs> I'm really just finding a way to get good free meals. That's my that's my. Angle. We do pretty well in the press box, though. This, this we, is we, true. We eat pretty well up there. We do. Um, what is the game that you're most looking forward to? Oh, my God. You always ask me these. I, I, I'm going to tell you an honest, pathetic truth about me. Everybody on – I guarantee you, can you name our whole Sunday Night Football no, schedule? No, I can't. I can't <laughs> tell you who we're doing. Let me think. If I think really hard. I know our, we do Thursday night and we do Sunday night. I know those. And our next game is – I don't even worry about it. I don't even think about it. This leads to my question because here – how, how many teams deep into the league could you get before – like, let's say, okay, Chris, do you have the Washington football team on your schedule? No. And you would say no. no. And how many teams could I ask you that and you would get it right? Oh, I would, I would get the ones that we don't, don't do okay. because I, I'm already – I'm doing broad studies on, on this. I mean, we do the same thing every year. We've got like 17 teams yeah. that we do, right? Yep. And so then there's 15-ish teams yeah. – that I can't tell you anything about. When I come in here and talk to you guys, I'm like, God, tell me anything about the Jets. You know, like, I don't know anything. I haven't haven't seen a Jets game forever. I see them indirectly on tape playing the teams teams. that I'm going to get ready to play, right? And and so, but, and and like, you guys can go through. I'm, I'm always amazed. I listen to you guys, Steve and Sam and Mike and Austin and all you guys, and it's like, you rip through names of players, you know, like da 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 da, da. and for I don't really study like that, you know. It's like I memorize the, the names of the guys during the course of the week uh, of the film study, but I'm trying to find unique things when I'm studying tape. I'm trying to find something that I haven't heard anybody else talk about, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's a release or whether it's a, the tight end, how they play jam coverage or how they do that trap coverage or, you know, I, because Freddie, unlike other broadcasts, you know, they'll, they'll take like I was always a little jealous of John Gruden because they would take, you know, they had a 20 minute opening on camera and they would show highlights of things that John had seen on film for 20 minutes. And so I'm I like, Freddie, well, we should do that. That would be a great – great he goes, find it live. Then you're something special. Yeah. If you can find it live, I'll put it in there. But I'm not taking a game from last week. Nobody cares about it. You find it in this game. I mean, son of a bitch. <laughs> I mean, and it's like, okay, but at least if you study – now I know I've got to know something ahead of time before I get to the game so that hopefully I can see it again or something new – else that's new you know that comes in there like it's really the patriots are by far the most frustrating team to do because whatever you're watching on tape that's not what they're doing in your game right i mean that's it's always new so do you ask do you when you talk to bill are you like hey can you give me some can you give me something i know my film study has done nothing for me just help me out bill is either the absolute worst guy to deal with in a production (laughs) meeting or the absolute best he is the most extreme. I have had conversations about details of the Patriots with him that have been otherworldly. I mean, you get some idea of how in-depth the knowledge of that man is in some of these conversations. And I would never – I don't use him on the air. I mean, he'll talk about you know, players, yeah. is it worth paying them or not yeah. paying them. And 
Uh, I mean, you know, he's, he is a little salty language, too, so I'm always kind of giggling a little bit with him anyway. And then there are times that you would think he hates all of us. Like, <laughs> all of us. You don't ever talk to me again, you know, kind of thing. Um, is like, there, is like, we flexed into a Sunday night road game. Oh, I thought he was going to crush us. I mean, he wouldn't. He was so mad. It was unbelievable. He didn't want to disrupt he, yeah. his schedule, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. Is there ever a tell? Is it always just – is it like – this Patriots team is so good and has so much left in the tank that he can give me some nuggets or or a team that's like maybe holding on a little like last year's team where they're kind of not like the, the game you had against Houston where they're just kind of overmatched Baltimore they're overmatched is he less loquacious in those times or is has there, nothing to do with there's it. nothing there has okay. nothing to do with it. it it's just like sometimes it's a Super Bowl he's been fantastic with us at Super Bowl so I, I, it's it's <laughs> I, I can't explain it. I can't. And he's not the only one. Like I had a, a guy from the New York Times call me before the Super Bowl between the Patriots, which was they've been in every Super Bowl I've ever called in Seattle, and they said, and, and the question was, tell me the difference dealing with Pete Carroll and Bill Belichick, <laughs> right? And I said, eh, they're about the same. And this guy went crazy. I was like, "Get out, what you, uh, Chris! Come on, how long have I known you? You can open up. You can tell me off the record." I was like, "Man, I'm telling you, they are just about the same." I go, "Some things they talk about, and it's really interesting. And some things, if I had a gun to their head, they wouldn't be talking yeah. about." And 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 it's pretty much across the board. But the difference is, Bill doesn't care what anybody thinks about him. Like he just doesn't care. So, like, Pete Carroll, I think, wants to maintain a certain image and, mm-hmm. you know, be po- a positive guy with the media, and he'll, you know, make an effort, and he'll say it in a way. But he'll say the same bunch of nothing that Belichick does. <laughs> he'll just do it with a smile yeah, on his yeah. face. The worst one was Bill Parcells. Bill Parcells was the, 100% the worst because Bill would come in, hey, how you guys doing? You know, hey, da, 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 da. And he would talk about his horse that ran at the, you know, Saratoga. <laughs> and then he would talk about baseball with Al Michaels. And then he would go through around the room, ah, oh, Freddie, you remember we did the thing, da, da, da. And he'd look at his watching. Time's ah, up. Got to go, man. <laughs> I look at my notepad, I hadn't written one thing down. And, and so I finally started going, I go, he'd start that crap, and I go, Bill, I got no, we're not doing this again. We're not. We are not doing this again. Oh, That's a great story to end on. This has been fantastic. We'll have to have you on again. Hey, you know, you sometime know, we got to make hard to get on the show. You guys are, you know, it's tight. This we is do a lot have, of celebrities. We'll on put show. you in touch with our guy. Matt Stopsky. Stopsky. <laughs> Don't put Stopsky on me, man. Stopsky's the only guy I can't say no to. He he would literally wear me out. I'm like, finally, what is it, just a six-hour podcast, Stopsky? Sure, I'm in. Just stop texting me. Leave me alone. Look, look, Chris, I got you for a full day here. No, Matt. <laughs> no catering. Sorry, oh, though. You'll have to figure that out on your own. He's tough. Uh, all right. Chris Collinsworth, thank you very much. 